Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land of the House of Sin and where the studios stand, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of a new show here on Sin 90.7 FM. This is Cricket by Dummies, a lighter look at the world of cricket. My name is Alex Henry, with me as always. Chock is what I think I'm going to go by this series. Yeah, I think that's a good title. So this show is basically, as we said, going to be a bit of a joke, really. Yeah, the, na- the name of the show is very appropriate. Like, hopefully, well, the idea of the show is hopefully for all you fans out there of cricket that we can give you an in-depth look at cricket at times, but then for all of you out there who are looking at more of a laugh from the cricket and, you know, a change of pace from the boring nature of cricket that it can be, hopefully we can give you that, but then I'm not going to guarantee anything with the sort of humour we're going to be dishing out. Yeah, our specialty is sarcasm and mostly just ineffective making fun of ourselves. Yeah, a, a little bit of satire here and there. Satire? Yeah, satire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, From our perspective, we are local-level cricketers. I play in a fourth-division team every week that uh, usually loses. (laughs) Yeah, what did you average last season? I believe I averaged about seven with the bat and bowled about twice. So you know that we come from a place of expertise. Yes. We know exactly what we're talking about. And then I'm your classic couch fan. I watch it from the couch. I enjoy it. I used to play cricket six seasons. Wasn't very good. There's a reason I don't (laughs) play anymore. We are your typical catch fans, uh, armchair critics. So when you hear us criticise the people that have played for Australia or played for even at state level, know that they're talented and we're not. Yep, that I couldn't have put it any better than myself, Alex. So what have we got on today's show? We have a massive show coming up today. We're going to start off with some of the news in recent cricket, um, including a couple of test series going on between international sides. We have our very first interview here on Cricket by Dummies with former Australian player Rob Quiney. Oh, my God. Victorian legend. Uh, we're so grateful for him for sitting down with us and having a conversation, so we'll be playing that for you. He's a very cool guy. Very, very funny guy. It's a great interview. Even if we're not funny, he is. So you should be able to at least enjoy that. And we asked him all the important questions, obviously. Definitely, with questions ranging from what was it like playing to Australia for what is his favourite snack? Yep. Couldn't have put it any better. And when you play local-level cricket, what is your favourite halftime snack is the most important question. We don't actually play local cricket for the local cricket. You play it for the halftime snacks. Yeah, that's definitely the reasons. We're also going to be talking about Australia's current situation. Um, so with, this is a new show and it's the beginning of the Australian cricket season. So we thought it'd be good to bring it back up to speed with what's going on in Australian cricket right now. And in doing that, we'll move over to the ODI series in India. Australia have been playing right now, which they have been quite and sincerely smacked. Yeah, Enough said there. Yeah. Why would I add any more? <laughs> yeah, nothing more. Uh, we'll bring back part two of our interview with Rob Quiney before talking about the biggest controversy going around in cricket right now, and that is the man that is Ben Stokes. Just your classic English cricketer. Yeah. Well, I think that's a bit unfair on English <laughs> cricketers, but it's always good when the Australian media gangs up on like an English cricketer who's just doing silly stuff rather than focusing on our own troubles because yeah. let's be honest Australia's perfect it's 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 actually really good because we've really struggled in this series in India so to have some English guy make mistake after mistake it just provides us with something else to talk about other than how bad we are well it just makes us feel better about ourselves 
because it's like, well, we could be losing over there, but at least we're not hitting people. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. Let's get into our new segments. Um, let's start out with South Africa, Bangladesh. Uh, the They have just completed the second test this morning uh, with South Africa taking the series 2-0. Both tests have been an absolute whitewash. I don't think I've seen a test series this one-sided. Yeah, I don't understand why South Africa even bothered scheduling against Bangladesh. Like, or, or Bangladesh bothered scheduling because you're playing one of the best test sides in the world and they have lost by an innings and it was 254 runs, wasn't it? Yeah. And then game. that lost by 333 runs, which is a lot. You know, 333 is a rather <laughs> big number. You know, it's just it's just a medium-sized number. Um, in this morning's test, Kagisa Rabada finished with 10 for 63 in both innings as the Bangladeshis were rolled for 147 and 172 in response to South Africa's 4 for 573, which is just massive numbers. Um, second gamer, uh, Aidan Makram, who we'll talk about a little more in a second, uh, f- made a test century alongside Hashim Amla, Faf Plessy, and... Uh, Dean Elgar, Skipper Dean Elgar, all ended with centuries in a completely one-sided match. Well, Markram almost got a century in the first test, didn't he? He was borderline getting there, and this was actually quite a, you know, amusing story to come out of it. I won't say funny for anything we ever do, because I don't want to hype it up too much for only to sink. No, it was quite amusing when uh, he was on 97, and Dean Elgar at the other end, the captain of the side, is on 99. So what do you try and do? You try and steal... Snake, Snake a si- through a single, I'd say. Yeah. yeah, a single to get his century and do the team thing. And then he ended up getting sent back and run out by about half a pitch, you reckon? Yeah. Maybe, maybe two-thirds of a pitch. Uh, it was just a your classic rookie mistake. Yeah. I mean, he's thinking, yeah, no, I'm going to do the team thing. I got you, Skip. I got you back. And he's caught halfway down the pitch, the poor bastard. On debut. Debut. Yeah. Um, also moving on, England and West Indies have just wrapped up a series in the last few days. Uh, the English took the Test Series 2-1, lost the 1-T20, but took the ODIs 4-0. Um, probably the biggest story coming out of this, and I, and I mean this in the most serious terms, is... West Indies have debuted their second Hope brother. So we previously knew that uh, the West Indies have a little Wiki bit Keeper. of hope. Yeah, a little bit of hope in Wicketkeeper Shy Hope, who's yep. been around in the side for a few years now. But clearly, due to their struggling form, they've been not a great side over the past 10, 15 years. They thought, need a little bit more hope, and so brought in his brother, Kyle Hope. It was a very bold move. Yeah, I, I think always optimism is always bold. Yeah, you don't want to give too much hope to a team. Hope. You know, it's just not human nature, honestly. Especially if they start losing, which they did get pretty resoundingly beaten in this series. I mean, you can quickly lose hope. And I don't mean in the sense that, like, they run out of optimism, but in the sense that, like, I, I mean, these guys might retire. Yeah. Why would you want to play for the West Indies? Like, their bracket or their window for world domination is now. They're not going to have hopes forever. No. I think they should just keep churning out more hopes. I mean, right now it's only two, but how much more effective would a team of 11 hopes be? It, it couldn't be hopeless. <laughs> They'd be the most hopeful side in the world. Yes. Um, well, we could even do our own Star Wars trilogy based off it. So you've got A New Hope, which is just easy enough as it is. But then but then, but then, then the struggles strike back. <laughs> and suddenly the West Indies are in trouble. Yeah. And, and the New Hope, it's Shy, isn't it? So, so Shy is the original wicketkeeper. Kyle is the newbie. So Kyle, Kyle turns to the dark side, Alex. Yeah. And... And there's no hope, and everything's dark in the West Indies. <laughs> but then his brother 
convinces him to come back in the, and the hope. The strength. end of the trilogy, Return of the Hope. Return of the Hope. Yeah. It would be a fantastic trilogy. I'd watch that. Yeah. I mean, probably not better than the Star Wars one. No, but at least just as good. Um, Pakistan, Sri Lanka has... Uh, in the middle of the second test today, uh, it's an ongoing series, um, Sri Lanka took the first test 1-0, um, having won by 21 runs. They made 419 in the first innings. Pakistan made only three runs more. And then only made 138 in the second innings, setting the uh, Sri Lankans, uh, sorry, the Pakistanis a total of 140-ish, 142 yep. to win. And they fell short. They only made 114, got absolutely steamrolled in what is one of the weirdest wins you'll ever see. Yeah, what a great test, though. Fantastic. Like- People say that you can only have good cricket when there's high scoring, but you see every now and then just low scoring games are they're tense because you just don't know when your next batsman's going to get out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then in the second test that's ongoing today, Sri Lanka very impressive in the first innings, four eighty two with uh, Karan Ratnam making one hundred and ninety two. Um, nice to see him find a little bit of form. Pakistan only made 262 in response with, again, Rangana Herath in the wickets. It's these two just getting all the wickets right now, the two spinners. Herath has got a ton, and Yasir Shah took six in the first innings. Um, meanwhile, today, though, this morning, Pakistan made 262, were all out, and Sri Lanka collapsed to five for 34. So what looked like was going to be a pretty easy victory is suddenly looking a lot more fragile. Yeah, it's, it's better... It's better to watch than the Australian-Indian series, to be honest. <laughs> Why do you need quality sides when you can just, you know, collapse every now and then and just have close games? It's good cricket to watch, It's really. definitely more entertaining. We'll hear more on the Australia-India series later. And finally, to wrap up, tell us about the JLT, Chuck. Well, the JLT, for those who don't know, it's like the domestic ODI series. Enthralling stuff. The best talent from all over Australia that isn't in India <laughs> comes to a... I think they only play at three venues, so we didn't. We don't even get any games here in Melbourne. No, which is unfortunate. No, so it's started that most sides have played three matches, so Western Australia are the only undefeated side at the moment, and then our Victorian boys are one and two. They're, they're struggling a little bit, which, I don't know, doesn't actually phase me that much. And then Tasmania is the only sides that's yet to get a win. And the Cricket Australia 11, which, for those who don't know, it's like all the rejects from all the state sides put into one side of rejects. And they even they've won, and the Tasmanians haven't. Yeah, that was a pretty incredible win when they knocked off South Australia in the first game. Everyone was quite stunned. Yeah, but Tasmania are below Cricket Australia 11 on the table. Like, they should... They should be distraught. They should just consider quitting. We should just annex them, I think. That's more the point. Get rid of them all together. Um, So there have been a couple quite interesting incidents to come out of this game. Only two weeks ago, the International Cricketing Council, the ICC, changed the laws regarding fake fielding, which was this kind of backyard cricket-style technique that has been occasionally implemented at uh, higher levels. So it happened in the game um, just last week. One of the Queensland players, Marcus Labashanga, was fielding at mid-off. The ball's hit past him. He dives and he doesn't get there. So what does he do? He tries to put off the batsman. He gets up and pretends like he's got the ball and pretends to throw the ball at the stumps. But, oh no, they changed the rules. Turns out you're not allowed to do that anymore. And it actually cost his side five penalty runs. But they changed the rule like the week before. Like, surely you would have gotten notified of the rule change. It's like, okay, boys, we're not going to do this for at least a couple of months because you can't get away with it immediately. Yeah. But no, first game you first. play afterwards. <laughs> let's uh, let's throw it out there. He clearly had missed the memo. And then in a game in Victoria, for in Victoria's game the other day, something very interesting happened. Yes, Cam White 
batting brilliantly as he has for a very long time smacked one of the balls into the crowd massive six and he broke a chair like <laughs> properly broke the chair like I'm sitting on the chair at the moment and it's still holding me up I think a cricket ball hit at like 100 kilometers yeah. an hour is considerably more likely to break a chair than you are yeah that's probably a good point no but I'm just glad I wasn't sitting in that chair no hey what I would have been so glad try and take that screamer that yeah, would have been amazing if it's going to break a chair it could probably just put a hole in your chest that's assuming you're not trying to take the catch I mean, it might break your hand, but... We're fourth grade cricketers, Alex. Yeah, no, you'd be running and screaming. Um, there is a reason they call him the bear. Yes. And this is it. Yes, and because you can't catch it with your bare hands, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. That's the first of many bad puns to come over the next couple of months. Um, right, we are going to go to the first half of our interview with Rob Quiney. Sit back and enjoy. So, Rob, we're very privileged to have you here on the show. Just wanted to ask straight up... What made you fall in love with cricket in the first place? Um, well, I fell in love with cricket because it became a game that was less physical compared to football. I love football <laughs> and cricket, um, and I was quite a quite a chubby kid, um, and I just naturally progressed to cricket because you didn't have to run as much at the time. So, um, but then also just the exposure, I, I think, at an early age. And my dad was a president of a local cricket club, and I'd spend quite a few Saturdays in summer down there, and, and just loved it. Um. I've heard in the past that you've been labelled as a full-on couch potato before you straighten yourself up to play for Australia. Is there any way that you could straighten me up to play for Australia? Um, oh, well, it's funny you say that because I'm sitting on the couch right now, so um, <laughs> I've got my own little groove like home Simpson is. But, um, look, I, I don't know too much about you um, to straighten you up to play for Australia. You might, you might have the, uh, the tools already. So, um, you know, you, for starters, you've got to doubt. You're doubting yourself at the moment. I think you're... You know, you get on the front foot, pardon the pun, and, and have a crack. <laughs> to be clear, Rob, I am a fourth-grade cricketer that has spent, I think, most of my time trying to work out whether or not I'm actually worse at bowling or batting. So to turn me into a proper cricketer would take some incredible talent. Why don't you give one of the facets away, whether it be batting or bowling, and focus on the other one, um, and then you, you just progress through the, through the grades? I think um, Alex should just focus on his fine leg fielding. He does a fabulous job there. <laughs> That's what Jonathan Trott used to do. He used to just have a hit in field of fine leg. Look at easy game for him. Yeah, well, when you're a young fella in a senior side, mostly all they get you in for is just to chase balls at fine leg. So. How, how, old, how old are you, Alex? Um, I'm 19. Oh, nice. Sound about <laughs> yeah. 21. So it's good. You've got plenty of time left. Most of the guys in that fourth 11 wouldn't be... No, I, I, think, I think most of them are considerably older than you, Rob. <laughs> the Air Force 11's the other way around. Air Force 11's got one bloke who's about 28 and the rest are about 19 or under. Oh, jeez. No, it's very different here. Um, let's talk about some of your experiences playing for Australia. I mean, first of all, how incredible was it just to be called up for the first time and go, oh, my God, I'm actually going to play for Australia? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. The, the call was, was enough in itself or the tap on the shoulder. I was in Sydney um, playing an Australia A game and then the game, um, John Inverarity came over and, and let me know that I was going up to Brisbane to be on standby for Shane Watson and then they told me, they were awesome, they told me about four days out from the test that I was actually in. Um, they weren't going to leave it until the night before um, and when that happened, yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting but unfortunately, um, it felt like I blinked a couple of times and it was all over. Yeah, you played some pretty incredible players that day, the likes of Stain Philander, Mornay Morkel, Jacques Callis. Did you feel uh, a little bit out of your depth? Um, if you had asked me before the Australia A game, I would have said yes. Um, but 
I know that they were sort of just they were sort of having centre work and practice really, but in the um, in the Aussie A game, I played against Philander and Stain and and felt like you know what I feel like that you know I could give it a good crack, but uh, obviously it's a completely different setup when you actually finally get to to the big show. So um, now I felt like I'd earned, earned that opportunity uh, and deserved it, and then um, yeah, unfortunately as I said that you know you played one shot that that straight down the final leg throat, then you nick a couple and, and that's it, you're all over. Yes, it's a very quick dismissal in test match cricket. Um, yep. What was it like on the middle of the Gabba, 60,000 odd Australian fans like cheering you on, whether you just got a wicket or you were going out to bat, what is it like having so many fans right behind you? It's awesome, it is, it, it really is, it's, it's awesome, it's a great feeling. I, I just uh, went to the AFL Grand Final last week and, and I was just you know, pinching myself. There were still, you know, enough Adelaide Crows fans there at the game, but, you know, to have Richmond potentially had sort of 60,000 people, same thing, um, at the ground just wanting you to win. And, and then, um, you know, they were lucky enough to have that joy to, to win and have all those fans just, you know, so happy for them and, and excited. So um, anytime there's an atmosphere that, you know, they've got 60,000 people and especially towards the end of the day when they've had, you know, um, a long day in the sun, then, yeah, it, it, it's... So they get quite vocal, and yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it, it gets you going. Yeah, Richmond was a fantastic win. I know I went to the prelim final there, where there was about ninety-four thousand Richmond fans and one hundred. It was amazing, wasn't it? And one hundred thirty-seven GWS fans. Can you, <laughs> yeah, can you that, like yeah. Five. When you went out to bat, was it just like, did the adrenaline surge through you? There, there was a little bit of, a, of adrenaline. It was probably more facing up for the first ball than walking out more than anything. I just sort of walked out and said, here I am, let's let's go have some fun and let's do it. So, um, but yeah, um, probably the first shot I played was a pull shot and got away. And then after that, I, I actually felt, I felt quite good. I felt relaxed. I felt like, yeah, it's all good. So, which is like any innings I play, I guess your first, you know, few balls, you, you don't see it as, as big and, um, and you're quite nervous and anxious, which is a good thing because you care. So, um, yeah, apart from that, it, you know, it wasn't too overawing. It's just, yeah, but it was, yeah, as I said, it just happened too quick. Yeah, speaking of that, that famous nine, Mickey Arthur said at the time it was the best nine he had ever seen. Did he also say after you nicked off to the keeper that it was the best golden duck he'd ever seen? Could do, yeah, I should have. I should have. I should have uh, um, just both times, just uh, as soon as I got out, just come off and said, I don't know why I got dropped. You know, they were the, they were the best duck, pair of ducks you'd seen in, you know, in test history. But um, <laughs> unfortunately, that doesn't work. And I even tried to become a, a test bowler instead of a batter, but I couldn't break through to that wicket. So. I have that written here. That was one of the things we wanted to talk about. It's not a well-known thing about you. But you actually bowled 25 overs at test level. I mean, you... Yeah, and went only, for, only went for 28 as well. So exactly. I, I think I mean, I'm the most e- economical bowler who's bowled 25 <laughs> overs plus um, and in test history. So... Um, can you hang my hat on something? Do you feel like you actually ended up contributing more with the ball than with the bat? 100%. 100%. If your job's there to make runs, and you make nine runs in three years versus 25 overs, but you're not even supposed to bowl, um, and, and I held up an end, I held up an end pretty well, I reckon, as a bowler. Yeah, I did. I remember um, the day. And, and I, I nearly got Faf to Plessy out. I remember him, I, I bowled a couple of away swingers and then turned the ball around and um, he gave me a little smile on the way down because if I if I was bowling 125 instead of 120, I might have got him LB, but I was too slow. Um, we'll move on to uh, your actual first game with the Victorian team. Uh, you did a warm up 
warm-up match against the World Eleven. Yep. Massive game to start off with. I'm sure the nerves were crazy at the time. What was it like facing the bowlers that were um, just like some of the best bowlers in the world at the time? You had the likes of Afridi, you had the likes of Vittori, Shobakta, Murali. It's a crazy lineup. What was it like facing that as your first um, game for the Victorian team? Well, the one thing was I was happy it wasn't opening because um, I was watching where Shah was running in from for the first ball and I was watching where the keeper was um, and his first ball was a bouncer to Nick Jewell um, and, and Michael Klinger was at the other end and, and obviously they were both secured teammates at the same time as well and um, and, Mike, and Maxi thought Maxi Klinger thought it would be funny and come down and ask Julie whether there was any swing, <laughs> even though that his first ball was a bouncer. So um, he was bowling rapid, so I was glad I didn't face him. But um, I got to face uh, Vittori and Muraliferin. I think they were bowling for about four or five overs. And um, yeah, Vittori was was you know it didn't seem like as one of those blokes who turned the ball much, but he just you know could beat you with with variable pace. And and Murali, I, I didn't see his first two balls purely because. Of his face, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't watch the ball. His, his face was so extreme that I couldn't get my eyes off it. You know, when when someone says "Don't look at something," and then all you want to do is look at it. Um, that's all I ended up doing. And then um, I got run out from from the boundary. Jack Callis threw it in from the boundary and, and ran me out direct hit. So I actually thought I made it, but um, the umpire wanted to um, get involved and been involved for a while, so he put his finger up. Now you mentioned that you got run out in this game. Did you run yep. yourself out deliberately so that you could say that none of those experienced bowlers got you out? You're, you're pretty switched on, aren't you? Um, there's so many people have asked me that before, and, and you're the first one. So, um, yep, so finally after about, what was it, about 12 years that uh, someone's on to me and they found out the real reason why uh, I ran myself out. And, um, of course, you're spending a lot of time playing uh, Premier Cricket nowadays. Uh, what's your favourite tea time snack? Um... When, when uh, we've got a, one of the players playing in our first grade, his girlfriend makes the easily the greatest chocolate chip cookies <laughs> in the world. They're actually, they're not a chocolate chip cookie. They're, they are chocolate chips with a bit of cookie in them. Um, and they are fantastic. So they get it in all through the day, but particularly at tea, um, they, get a, they get a hiding. So, yeah, I'd have to say the chocolate chip cookies. Is everyone running off the field quickly to get first hands on them? No, it's pretty much by the end of the day, everyone's feeling a bit crook because they've had too many. Um, it's just over over the course of the day, you'll have one in the morning between warm-up and going out to bat. Um, if you nick off early, you come in and you smash three in. Um, at lunchtime, you'll have a, a, like a, a roll and you eat, eat enough and you think, oh, I'm not hungry. You get back in the rooms. Oh, there's a cookie there. It's speaking here. You have it again. And then you, there's a chance you could have seven or eight in a day. Um, and that's, that's probably why you feel a bit sick. It sounds like uh, Alex's fourth eleven could use some of those cookies. Oh, definitely. We usually get the uh, chicken schnitzel sandwiches. Those are very popular with us. But ah, oh, those cookies. Well, where awesome. are you playing? I wouldn't. I'd, if we could get chicken schnitzel sandwiches, <laughs> that'd be gold. Well, if you'd ever like to come down and play for the McKinnon fourth eleven anytime, uh, let me know. All right. We can get you Give in. me a couple of years. I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you'd have a spot in that side, considering that if Alex is batting at where were you batting? Oh, I think it's like four or five at times last season. Yeah, but I think the thing that's going for me is my age, isn't it? In that fourth eleven. Oh yeah, <laughs> you'd be one of the younger blokes. Um, you might have to prove yourself with the bat, though. I mean, it's not like you performed on any uh, reasonably high stages at all over your career. No. No, stuff it. No, I'm going in there. I'm batting ten. I'm not bowling, and I'm having six. Yeah, that's it. Just sitting then, up first slip all day. Yep. Um, yeah. Oh, 
I might need to run around just in case I get a bit tight. <laughs> Class act there that Rob Quinney is. He was an absolute pleasure to interview. But that's just part one. There's more to come later after we have a song break. We've also got Australia's current situation and the ODI series in India. And if we have time, we will go over Ben Stokes. But for now, we are going to cut to Flume, Never Be Like You. This is Cricket by Dummies on Sin 90.7. You're listening to Sin 90.7 FM, Cricket by Dummies, with Alex and Chuck for the next half an hour at least. Let's talk about cricket, because we haven't done enough of that so far. We're going to cover the Australian situation right now. Talk about the ODI series in India. Lachlan Ross, what is the situation of Australian cricket right now? Terrible. Need I say more? No, that just about covers it. Tell us about what's going on. Okay, I'll give you all just a brief rundown of the rankings, because... That's probably a good place to start. So in the test uh, arena, we are ranked fifth. This is an Australian cricket team that is ranked fifth. You think back to all the teams that are old, which weren't just first, but they were first by a margin, and they just won everything. But no, this team's fifth. We're behind New Zealand. This New Zealand? Good en- this they have a population of like six million. Yeah, this isn't good enough. But It's they appalling. Don't, it's not even like their number one sport. They play rugby. Cricket's just like a sideshow in the summer. Yeah, I was kind of willing to accept it because they smash us in rugby every year, right? There was the um, Bledisloe Cup a few few months ago when they beat us by 40-something points yeah, in one like of the games. Yeah, 50-nothing at halftime. Yeah, so I'm willing to accept that they are a lot better than us at rugby as long as we're better than them at cricket. That's like the trade. Yeah. Is that you guys are big and massive and really talented. You can be better than us at rugby, but we get to be better than you at cricket. It's not working anymore. And... We can't let this go on for too much longer because the last thing you want is the key, this getting to the Kiwis' heads. Like, you would hate for them to be like, lol, we're better than Australia. But the Kiwis, I what I hate about them, especially when it comes to rugby, but they do it in cricket as well, is they refuse to be optimistic about their team's chances. So whenever the Bledisloe Cup comes around, they're always like, oh, you know, we got a few injuries, we might lose this year. And secretly everyone's thinking, yeah, screw you guys, you shifted, you know, we know you're all going to beat us by 100 points. Like, can you imagine that bit for cricket as well? So they're now ranked higher than us. We travel to them and they're like, oh, you know, you guys are probably going to beat us. And we're still thinking, yeah, we damn well should, but we're not going to anymore. Yeah, it's it's a travesty, to put it simply. In the ODI arena, we're third, which sounds better, but really, it's not that great. We just got smashed by India, which we will lead into in a second. And in the last arena, T20, your favourite one, big <laughs> T20 fan you are. Yeah, definitely. Let's not talk about this. Because no. we are terrible. We are what seventh. Is seventh. Yeah. So not only are we behind like New Zealand, we're behind like essentially the whole planet, I've decided. <laughs> so we're, we're, we may as well be last. Like the teams below us are like Afghanistan and Zimbabwe, which... I yeah, mean, those are the only teams left that we could sink below. And if we were to drop below Afghanistan, a side which is in the middle of a war, right? This is in the same week that we are playing Syria in our Football World Cup qualifiers, who are also in the middle of a war. Like, come on, people. We can't stop losing to sides that are war-torn nations. Yeah. We've got to have some standards. Exactly. Anyways, so that's just the situation. And like I said, terrible. <laughs> I don't really want to talk about the Australian situation, to be honest. It'd be better to just pretend it's not there. And move on into the ODI series in India, which has just wrapped up a few days ago. We lost 4-1, which is, you know, kind of an optimistic result, given how badly we did over the first few. I thought we were going to lose 5-0, and the fact that we even got one is yeah. 
is a good sign in itself. Yeah, we won a game. How sad is that, that we're at the point now where going, yeah, we won one, is an optimistic thing. Yeah, it's like the under-12s coach, like, attitude towards a game. It's like, <laughs> all good if we uh, lose, but it's all about winning and participating. So let's talk about the problems as to why this series did not go to plan. What do you think is the fundamental reason why we didn't win this? Uh, we can't play in India and we refuse to prepare to get better at it. It's like we've just, like, given up. Like, we try when we go to England. I think we try a lot in South Africa and all those nations. We, we just don't try, even in, like, the subcontinent, if you want to lump them all into one, because we nearly lost to Bangladesh a few months ago. But we just don't prepare. Like, we played one to a match for this series. One. Against the President's eleven. This is a country which has completely different pitches. Like, in comparison for other sports, it's like playing in Australia where you play on soccer fields that are just made of grass and then travelling to Norway or Iceland where it's just snow and saying that your adequate preparation was playing one game when it was raining. Like, that's not adequate preparation. You need to understand what the climate is like, what the surface is going to be like. They needed to spend weeks there, but they were too busy doing a series in Bangladesh, which was supposed to be a nice confidence booster in that, oh, yeah, we'll smack Bangladesh around, like South Africa are doing. But no, we even managed to draw that. <laughs> yeah, like... We've, so that one tour match, we batted once. We didn't even, like, bat twice. We just yep. batted once, and everyone batted okay. No one was especially good. Uh, Hilton Cartwright was an absolute legend in that game. He scored zero, which earned him a place in the side for the first two ODIs because, you know what, we reward talent here, and we reward people who are playing well. So what do you do? Make a duck, get in the side. Oh, look at that. He made a duck in the side as well. No, as you told me, and I think this is the perfect description, his selection was, I mean, you're looking at the side, you're looking at who you're going to pick, and Hilton Cartwright with his zero in the presence 11, it's irresistible. It's hard to turn him down, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I, it's just when someone's playing that well, Alex, you have to pick them. And not only that, to then decide to have him open the batting, right? <laughs> so just... Oh, you're sending him into a foreign country where he's never played an international match before. The guy's played a couple tests in Australia, and that's really it. And not only are you going to force him to debut without very good form and without very much practice at the ground, you're then going to force him to open the batting alongside David Warner, who's proven run scorer and we know is a legend, right? That's not fair. It, and it was no surprise to me in the slightest when you bring Aaron Finch in and he's just making... Century, 90, century. I mean, what did he end with his season his average of? His average was 83 for the series, Finch. So Cartwright replaced Finch in this side. Finch was, I believe, at least a little bit injured, but I'm... Uh, I'm taking an injured Finch over a yeah, fully exactly. fit Cartwright. Yeah. So just selectors blowing our minds yet again. I'm sure this is not the first time we're going to have a go at the selectors this season. It's uh, going to be a long season for the selectors out there. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in England in a few months' time, but we will get to that later when we talk about Ben Stokes. Another problem for Australia in this lineup is that middle order. Oh, wow, there are so many problems. Let's talk about a couple names. First of all, Matthew Wade was so poor, so poor, right, that they actually dropped him for Peter Hanscombe, who's not even a wicketkeeper. What kind of a decision is that? Oh, it's just, it, it shows you how badly he's playing when they're thinking that oh, yeah, a guy that can't keep and who dropped a catch in his first game because he's not an actual keeper is a better batsman than you and you're not good enough to keep for our side. Yep, Matthew Wade's just not good enough for this side. He was actually picked 
as the keeper preference over Neville because he can bat as well. So what do you do? Make 34 runs in a series and average 11. That's what I call talent right there. Definitely. A few names that also need to cop a little bit. Uh, Glenn Maxwell, very poor again. This is a guy with, we all know he's got tremendous talent, but I mean, he only scored 58 runs over the entire series. That's... Not good enough. Pete Hanscomb as well. And the, Travis The Head. keeper replacement. Yeah. Um, he played, uh, I believe, one game or two games as a as an out-and-out batsman before getting picked as a keeper. Not good enough from them. I mean, Smith's the leader. He should be doing better as well. And Travis Head, I'll give the benefit of the doubt to at least because, I mean, he's a young guy and he's just securing a spot on the side. But, I mean, there are so many players there that let us down. Yeah, you can't win a match when your only two batsmen who had a good series were your two openers. Because we got off to flying starts, and that was the storyline of the series, really. The fact that we were in a lot of games because we were starting very well, but we just couldn't we couldn't get it all together into one full match performance team-wide. Uh, but it wasn't just Australia playing bad. We should give some credit to the Indians, <laughs> as much as it hurts us to do so. This is the first show, Alex, and already we're giving credit to the Indians. Yeah. I feel like the uh, a lot of the pattern of this show is going to be giving credit to other people, whether it be other cricket shows that are much funnier and much more better at analysis, or, you know, just international sides are a lot better than ours. Yep. We may as well start it off in the first episode. So, in stark contrast, uh, Hardik Pandya, a new guy to the international scene. He's 23, Alex. Yeah, he's played for the last year or two. I um, think he's played 10 ODIs. Yeah, so he's had a little bit of experience, but not a lot. Very good player already. I mean, read some of the stats. Yeah, he had 222 runs for this series, which was more than Smith, and he had six wickets, which was more than most of our bowlers. All of which bar, um, I think, Coulter Nile and Richardson. And we should say, like, from an optimistic perspe- perspective, uh, Coulter Nile was really good. It's really good seeing him back. He was a leading wicket taker across the series for both sides, took 10 for the series. Um, I was always impressed by him in the past, and I've always liked what he's done for Australia. It's nice having him back in the lineup and after his terrible injury issues. And another player that actually stood up this series was Marcus Doinis. Yeah. Um, was absolutely destructive in that one ODI he played in New Zealand like six or something months ago where he yeah. hit 150-odd. Yeah, really incredible performance that day. And he looked good again in this series. I mean, I heard you, you heard him say something pretty interesting about the Australian side? Well, you know when your team is down, right, that it shows at the press conferences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, That's the number one spot it shows. It doesn't show on the field or the scoreboard. No, you see it happen in the press conferences. There's always a lot of optimism there. Now, when you're getting smashed in a series, Alex, what do you do at the press conferences? You have to set a standard. You have to be a leader. Even as a new guy in the side, you have to be a leader. So what does he say? He says we need to focus on winning. <laughs> Mind-blowing. I wouldn't have thought of that myself. Coaches for hundreds of years, Alex, have been preparing the wrong way. Yeah. They've been focusing far too much on tying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They've gone, if we can get at least as good as them, then maybe we might win. Yeah. That's been their plans. We're not worse than them. Yeah. That's the the idea, to not be worse than them. Because nobody prepares to lose, right? That's never the effort. But I guess just what's been happening in the past is that the Australian side has been preparing to tie. And that way, you hope you get a little bit of luck and maybe you get a win. Yeah, well, maybe that's why Andrew ties in the side at the moment. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Australian side is preparing to tie. Uh, it sounds pretty excellent. Anyway, Marcus Stoinis, like, let's just be clear to you, man. Of course you're focusing on winning. I mean, uh, I'm sure he's a lovely fellow. I'd love to talk to him. If you want to come on the show, please let us know. But yes, we- focus on winning. That would be a good idea. Yes, that's a good place to start when you're 0-2 down in the series at the time. 
Uh, we will be back for a Rob Quiney interview after this song, which is Angus and Julia Stone, Big Jet Plane. That was Angus and Julia Stone, Big Jet Plane. You're back here on Sin 90.7 FM with Cricket by Dummies. And right now we are going to lead into the second part of the Rob Quiney interview, the very interesting man that he is. And he'll detail us about a new part of his life that he's stumbled across. And it's just brilliant. Here it is. Yeah, watching you in the last few years playing in the Big Bash, you seem to be playing with a bit more of a carefree attitude. I don't know if that's yep. too much of me to say. And I, I don't know, it seems to be really benefiting your batting. You seem to be handling, especially last year, handling a lot of the bowling with ease. Do you feel like that's really helped at this stage in your career? 100%, mate. Um, that's exactly the, the approach I've, I've gone in. I, I think you spend so much time worrying about the negatives and the, the dismissals and stuff like that that, you know... All I want to do is go out and have fun and, and, and whack the ball and and um, Big Bash gives you a, a really good platform to do that. So uh, obviously it'd be nice if the Stars won a final, but um, you know, like it's uh, on a personal note, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Like if I if I fail, then so be it. If I do well, then same thing. I, I try and stay as level as I can. Now your last four scores in the Big Bash are 35-0, 35-0. What's the bet yeah. you get 35 next innings? Well, I can't bet on cricket, um, but <laughs> if you can, um, you do the math, um, and you remind me when, when I get closer to the time, and I'll do my best. I had you in my fantasy team last season, so I think it's very important that you deliver again this season for all the people out there that <laughs> are investing in you. It might be hard with Dunkey around. I don't know where I'm batting now. Oh, yeah. That was a pretty big signing for the Stars. You excited to play a lot? Great later? signing. Mm. Yeah. He's a good fellow. He's a, he's a great T20 batter. Uh... So, yeah, I reckon it's a great signing to obviously replace Dave Hussey, who retired. Now, speaking of incidents that happened in the Big Bash, a few years ago you were fielding in the outfield and uh, Voges was on strike, and he absolutely cracked one, and it went straight into a seagull, full-blooded. What was your initial reaction to that? I think most people are watching knew my initial reaction. Um, I got the the air shotgun out um, <laughs> to... Um, I was thinking maybe I could put the seagull out of misery, but mainly because I guess I think there was there was about forty thousand people at the ground, and a lot of them are you know are kids and and families, and I thought it's probably not a great look, you know. To, I know it's part of life, but I wanted someone to to get the bird off the ground and then obviously you know put it out of its misery. I thought it might have been in pain and you know just a matter of moments until it died or whatever, and so I thought it might be good to. Uh, um, to help it on its way, but uh, yeah, it, no one, no one came to his aid. Um, all the security guards stayed on the fence, decided to pick him up and put him the other side of the the barrier, and then he come up and started nibbling me ankles again. Cheeky bugger. Um, yeah, well, one little known fact about me, actually, I actually do a pretty good seagull impression. I'm actually, Go on. I'm actually part seagull. Okay, I'll do it now. Ah, uh, that was my greatest. No, that was all right. That's yeah, not bad. And you're, are you the kind of bloke that just lurks around other people at lunchtime and dinner time with, with their chips and just waits for them to <laughs> throw them your way? Yes. Yes, yes. that sums, sums it up perfectly. Yes, Perfect. Alex answered that for me brilliantly. No, that was quite a funny incident. Um, there was also another incident, I think it was last year or the year before, where you were batting and um, I can't remember who came into bowl, but they bowled it and it hit the stumps and the bales didn't fall. Do you remember? I think that was in the in the domestic one day stuff. Yeah. 
I think that was uh, Frankie Worrell was, was bowling that. Um, and it was quite a tough wicket to score on at that stage. And the ball started reversing. So I tried to play with late hands um, and missed it by quite a while because they didn't go up for the court behind. But there was a, just a faint noise and it just nicked the, the, the off stump. And, uh, yeah, fortunately for me, it, it stayed on. I think it got out not long after that anyway. But, um, yeah, there was it's some freaky, freaky stuff happened to me. Oh, I don't know why. Did you resort to super glue to uh, ensure that you were out on that wicket more? Not super glue. What I usually ask for when I'm batting um, is I ask for the heavier bales. Uh, uh, yes, that, yeah. that ground was right near the ocean, so I asked umpires if they could bring the heavy bales out <laughs> because I was worried about the, the breeze that was about to change from the sea. So um, they had the, the, the heavy ones in their pockets and they, they appropriately put them on. You were part of one of the greatest catches I think I've ever seen last year when Glenn Maxwell took that absolute stunner on the boundary line and then threw it to you. Do you feel like, and I mean this honestly, do you feel like a little bit privileged to be a part of something like that? Uh, well, look, I don't, I don't think it was that great a, a catch, to be honest. <laughs> I think there's been, been heaps better ones than that. But um, I was fielding down there and, and Maxi two overs before said, come on, we're swapping and I'm going down there. So I went in the ring and and lucky that the Maxi was there because I can't get as high as that bloke. <laughs> no, he's a very athletic um, fella. Now, we were uh, doing a bit of research for this and we stumbled across one of the most brilliant things I think I've ever seen in my life. So you, Peter Hanscom and Dan Christian do the lawn care and garden maintenance. Yep. So was that the sort of thing? So it's called Off Cutters as well, which is just another brilliant oh, it's, name. That's fantastic. That was, that was Christo. Christo <laughs> was, he, he loved that one. So um, was this just like the sort of thing where the idea grew on you and you were confident at work? Or did you just decide to hedge your bets? <laughs> that's very, very punny, that. That was, that was outstanding. Um, yeah, look, yeah, we, we did hedge our bets a little bit. Um, unfortunately, we, we've all bought into the business, but Pete's done a, a day and a half's work and um, he hasn't got the green thumb um, and he's off to bigger and better things. Dan's fantastic at it. Um, he's your, your standard Don Burke and um, once he finishes jet, jet setting around the world playing cricket, he'll, he'll be back. But at the moment, it's just me um, doing doing the business and carrying the trailer and... Pete's still returning the same profits from his very little effort. Yeah, he has. He's a bit of a um, he's a bit tight like that. Um, he's waiting for his return. Um, but I've just I've just told him that he does need to um, contribute somehow, apart financially, uh, for him to get his returns. So you've got off cutters for this, which, like we've already said, is just a brilliant name. Have you ever considered starting like a waxing store and calling it Leg Cutters? Could do. Or the Don Bradman Back Cutters. Because oh, I get my yeah, back wax, so that, that that makes a bit more sense, and I can actually get them to video when they they do wax my back, and um, yeah, it can really be legit my take off. Yeah, you can certainly branch off into many other things. Definitely, definitely. You're, you're on fire. How long did it take for you guys to, to think of all these puns? Oh, I say about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um. I was watching back some of your highlights the other day and I saw just one of the shots you hit down at Hobart uh, last season and I, I swear it would have gone 100 metres. Is there some especially amazing feeling you get when something just... You hit it that cleanly and you watch it go sailing into the stands? It's a bloody good feeling. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it, it's, it's very, very good. But, um, yeah, it, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I'll take it for granted because I've been around for a while. Um, I, I get more of a buzz just winning a game. 
So, um, no, it is, it's good. But, yeah, I'd much rather do it in front of the G. Um, so you got in front of your own fans instead of some Hobart fans who were, who were just booing you anyway, so... <laughs> no, those Tasmanian fans are very difficult to please at the best of times. Oh, they're all right compared to Adelaide and Perth fans. They're, they're the toughest. They're the worst? Mm-hmm. Any any particular horror stories you can mention of the Adelaide and Perth fans? Not on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, thank you so much for joining us today, Rob. It's an absolute privilege. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute privilege. <laughs> I, I'm so grateful you say that. Um, if you ever feel like playing a cricket match at an even lower level than you already play at, then uh, give, give me a call and I'll be sure to get you a game. Hit me up in, in a couple of years and uh, I'm sure I'll head down. Thanks for very much for talking to us, Rob. See ya. Thanks, no, Rob. Thanks, boys. So thank you very much to uh, Rob Quiney if you're out there listening. Seriously, though, like that was amazing. It was really cool that we could start our first show with that. And we can't be any more grateful, I think. Uh, so now we're a little short on time, but we're going to cue into our last segment where we're going at Ben Stokes. So, Alex, <laughs> what did Ben Stokes do? So basically to summarise the situation for those that don't know, two weeks ago Ben Stokes was arrested following a late night pub fight um, and since then video has emerged of him basically beating like the absolute senses out of a guy. Um, he bashes him so hard. It's a proper like outside of the pub beat down and he is in a lot of trouble Ben Stokes. It was ben disgraceful. Stokes. Yeah, to put it lightly. Um, since then he has been released pending investigation from a law perspective but that's just from a law perspective we're going to look at it from a cricket perspective. First of all, right, so I mean we love the English cricket team, right? I mean we're oh, coming from it. a place of affection. I mean you know Alistair Cook, what a lovely charming guy, definitely not up himself, not in the slightest. Joe Root, terrible batsman. Um, anyway, <laughs> we love the English cricket team. So for one of them to punch an Afghanistan veteran in a fight, I mean, clearly Ben Stokes must have been in the right here. Oh, yeah. Ben Stokes has done absolutely nothing wrong. This cr- English cricket team has done nothing wrong. No, but on a slightly serious note, I am actually kind of glad that he's gotten, like, public... Uh, Condemnation? You... Yeah. That's the word that I'm never going to come up with. <laughs> no, because too often we see, like, sports stars get away with this sort of thing. Sorry to throw a serious tone on it. (laughs) No. So he's been suspended from the side and will be staying home for the Ashes for now. We'll see what happens, whether or not he comes back into the side later. But at this stage, it doesn't look likely. However, this was not the only incident involving Ben Stokes over the last few weeks. The day after it had been announced that he had been arrested, a video was released of him online mocking the the disabled son of an English celebrity. Um, basically doing an impression of this poor kid. And it's awful. It's actually terrible. Like, I am I mean, I didn't think Ben Stokes was a particularly good person before all of this came out, but I'm suddenly looking at this and going, are you just the biggest asshole on the planet? Do yeah. you really not care about other people? Yeah, like, you don't have to be a nice person to not do this. This is just common sense. Even some bad people won't stoop this low. Like, this is... This is properly low. And do you know what, Alex? This man is the vice captain of the English cricket team. He's not just a regular member. Yeah. This man is the vice captain, the guy who's meant to lead the troops out with the captain and support the captain no matter what. And he's doing a great job of supporting them from England. Oh, definitely setting a standard, isn't he? He's saying to the younger fellows, this is what you should be doing. You should be going out, taking a lot of wickets, making a lot of runs because you're a really talented player. Also, punch people. That's what you should do. Yeah. Definitely. That's, that's what you should be doing, everyone. 
Follow that standard, please. Please don't. <laughs> On a non-sarcastic note. No, he's 26 as well, so it's not in like that prime age for doing the dumb stuff in your life. But then, so it sounds like a bit too old to be doing this stuff, but then we can't have a double standard here. David Warner punched <laughs> someone in England when he was 26 as well. That's someone being Joe Root. Current England captain, <laughs> <Yes>. Joe Root. <laughs> uh, so, and he was 26 at the time too. So the moral of this show or the... The, the takeaway from this show, if you may, apart from stop making bad puns, <laughs> is if you're 26, don't go near England. 20, 26 and England is do not work well together. Yeah, there is a solid likely chance out of 10 that you're going to end up punching someone. Yeah, even if you're a pacifist. It's probably not for your own good. And with that, let's wrap up today's show. It's been a pretty fantastic time. I've enjoyed doing our first show. Have you, Lachlan Ross? Yeah, it's been... It's been an experience. I hope everyone out there has at least got some mild entertainment out of it all. This is the part where if we were a TV show, we'd play a trailer for the upcoming season, but we haven't planned that far ahead. So we're going to tell you what's on next week. Next week, we will be doing a preview of the Women's Ashes, which are coming up over the next few weeks. Yes, very excited for which that. Which is going to be awesome. I'm super excited. Um, we're going to try and get to see if we can talk to some of the female Ashes players and see if we can talk to them about what's going to happen. Um also, the Australian T20s in India, the first one began last night yes, or the night before, and so we will be talking more about that next week, so get excited for us to get smashed by India and us to be clearly just chuffed about it. Oh yeah, we're going to be so proud of our Australian boys going out there and showing the true Anzac spirit. Definitely. So, after all of that... Um Please tune in next week if you had a good time. Uh, we have a podcast called AFL by Dummies, which has just concluded its first season. Or you can tune in to me on uh, Football by Dummies uh, every week where we talk about the EPL in a very similar tone, but slightly more serious, I would say. Anything you'd like to plug, Lock and Ross? No, I think that's all. Uh, I, sh I assume we'll get a Facebook page up for this at one point, so we'll be able to direct you all to that. We have got a SIN page, so we, we will put the recording of this there if you want to listen to this at a later date. Apart from that, thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Chuck. My name's Alex Henry. And this is Cricket by Dummies on Sin 90.7.